Welcome back to The Steel, Season 2, Episode 5, the show where we take a deep dive into the scores, the stats, the standings, and everything MLB with your host Asher Cohn and Armour Brown. It's a steal, so let's get into it. All right, guys, welcome back to our second episode of the summer. As we approach mid-July, baseball continues to heat up. We're hitting the dog days. A lot of games left to play, but certainly a lot of games have been played near the halfway mark. So we're starting to get a really good sense of where the league falls. But we're approaching some certain day, uh, some important dates. You know, as we hit the end of July, we've got the trade deadline. And it's the opportunity for tough teams to set up their future if they're struggling now and for contenders to give their, themselves the best shot at playoff and World Series chances. So that being said, let's just jump right into the episode. We're going to start by talking about the trade deadline, sellers, buyers, where we think some players could go and what impact that could have on the league. Amr, you want to take me through one of your big sellers this season and how this can help potentially shape the offseason and their next few seasons in baseball. Yeah, so this one's pretty interesting considering this team was one of the largest sellers last offseason, and that's the Cubs. And we're looking at it, and Wilson Contreras is probably the most highly valued piece that teams are looking for. And I mean, originally it was rumored he would be going to the Yankees, but Yankees catching has been surprisingly good this year. So there are other teams in the mix. I would I would look at the Astros, especially for that. Their catching's been terrible. But they also they have a couple of pitchers, Kyle Hendricks and Drew Smiley, that are veteran guys that a team could look for in the postseason as finding success. And then they've got maybe the best closer available at the deadline, David Robertson, who's posted a sub two ERA this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a package deal of Contreras and Robertson uh, to bring in a pretty big haul of prospects for a team this offseason. But the Cubs definitely have talent that could contribute to a postseason team, but when put together in this situation, especially without a lot of star talent, are really struggling to win games. The two other names I would mention with the Cubs, Jonathan VR and Ian Happ, I know they're not going to clear total house, but it wouldn't be the worst strategy considering this is a rebuild and they started it last off season by acquiring Nick Madrigal and a ton of prospects. Yeah. And now that the Cubs, you know, they, they really cleared house last year. They're going to have the ability to clear house in just kind of finish off. And it, it makes sense, right? At this point, the team's very, very young, a lot of talent in the farm system already. Um, you're not going to necessarily see that as an instant impact for this Cubs team. So guys that are on the older side that are having good seasons, get the value you can for them now, trade out, uh, find homes for them in other ball clubs, continue to pad that farm system. And most likely what I'll see, I mean, I don't know how, how close they are to being good again, how many seasons out we're looking, but when you have this much farm system talent, and you continue to build it, hopefully once they start getting a wave of those players making some sort of impact on the big league level, they can snatch up some bigger names at free agency and then trade a few of the guys, uh, trade a few guys they have acquired now 
for some talent in the future because I think the Cubs, you know, what you see with this team is they'll have enough guys in the farm system to trade for some big league talent and to have those guys impact their own club as well. If you're the Cubs who probably have a decently big payroll once they need to actually go out and get free agents, how far down the line do you see this rebuild turning into actual success? Well, here's the thing about the Cubs. They're not rebuilding like the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, the Orioles are having more success than the uh, Cubs right now, but they're not rebuilding as a franchise without money. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we saw Rizzo go last year, Baez go last year, Bryant go last year, Kimbrell go last year. And then again, we've got definitely two pieces this year that are going to go. And so the haul they can bring in for those type of players is pretty big. And so it's not easy to predict minor league player success in the big leagues. But if you bring in a reasonable amount of top prospects and then you go ahead and follow models where you sign the big league guys once you've got a core of young talent, that is a two to three to maximum five-year process for a team that's found success in recent years and has the money to keep doing that. That's my personal belief on the matter. It has to be done right, but it can be done well. And we're, we're seeing that with teams like the Padres right now who are finding success. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think there's definitely a tricky situation, but definitely uh, manageable. And I think so far, when I think about the Cubs, they've made the right steps. They've made the right decisions. Um, getting rid of Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, all those guys, that was correct on their end. They, they did it in a timely manner, um, and they didn't lose that talent, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did the same thing this year. Moving on to another team, um, and this one I think might be an even – might be a much trickier situation as a seller um, because, you know, you've listed the Marlins as a seller here on this list, and the, issue, the reason why this is a, a tricky space is because if you look at the Marlins this season, first of all, they've been trying to rebuild for a long time. And, yes, they have a lot of young guys – they don't play the cleanest baseball, but they're got a lot of potential. Um, they're 39 and 42. They're three games under 500. A win tonight would put them two games under 500, which means as the Marlins, you want to be careful with selling because you don't want to take a step back and lose talent that could actually make you have more of a complete team as soon as next season. But you don't want to hold on and then – that talent ages, you didn't get value for them. And again, you're kind of stuck and not making forward progress. So because the Marlins are playing around 500 baseball in not necessarily that easy of a division with the Braves and the Mets, what is your approach to this uh, trade deadline and making sure that you are still going forward and trying to be competitive as soon as possible? Well, there's two schools of thought on this matter one is that this team right now the way it is is not going to win the division with two dominant teams in the Mets and the Braves and that means they should just sell house and that would include deals for guys like Pablo Lopez who has a year and a half left on his deal Jorge Soler who just signed with the Marlins and then other guys that are have their deals running out this year the other school of thought is 
well, this team is finding some success right now. We've got to keep these guys together. Instead of trading them, we have to focus on just re-signing as many people as we can and anybody we don't see us re-signing, then we deal them. And that would mean guys like Joey Wendell, Garrett Cooper, Miguel Rojas, where you're looking at these guys and saying, okay, there's a playoff team that needs a backup utility player. There, every team needs one. A guy who can hit 240, 250, and then have success off the bench, really. And so if I were the Marlins, I would start the rebuilding, like continue the rebuilding and focus around what you have. And that's the best pitcher in baseball right now, Sandy Alcantara. And trade Lopez, trade Soler, and find a bunch of talent to bring into this team because the team that's constructed the way it is, it's not one big free agent away. This is like how I was frustrated with what the Rangers did last offseason because that team wasn't a Corey Seager or Marcus Semien away from winning, and that's been proven this year. This team isn't a Corey Seager or Marcus Semien away from winning next year. They're not going to beat the Mets or the Braves. That's my belief. That means they need to sell right now at the deadline and bring up better guys because these guys that I listed, Rojas, Soler, Cooper, Wendell, Birdie, these guys are veterans in the league. And they're not all-stars. Soler, maybe once. Lopez had a good start to the season. So, rebuild. That's the that's my idea if I was the Mar- Marlins GM. Yeah, I think the guys that are definitely getting older and starting to age out of their positions, you, you definitely want to look at moving before it's too late. Um, and then my other question to you is, if you are the Marlins, you know, you're four games out of a wild-card spot right now. Um, sure, you're not even – 500 your record isn't but you're 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 technically still in a playoff race do you look at potentially selling old guys for young guys and maybe seeing if you could move a couple of much younger guys for a proven talent that you think could be good for the next four or five seasons like look at your your lower level farm system or guys that are nearer to mlb ready but not there yet and, and simultaneously sell off old guys and maybe try and bring in some talent. That's not, that could give you a boost and maybe give you a chance at a playoff run this year while also probably being good in the, for the next four to five years, which would uh, also be in line with uh, your target um, competitive year for the rebuild that's currently happening. Could you potentially look at, being not only just a seller, but maybe a bit of a buyer too. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that you can do. And the other team that I would point towards this is the Baltimore Orioles. And it's a really fine line to walk where you're walking right next to the postseason. And the question becomes if you sell off or fans going to be mad, but if you don't sell off and then you miss the postseason, you're not going to be good next year. You're missing out on uh, the future of the franchise. So while it might be the fine line to walk, it may actually be the correct line to walk. And it depends on the makeup of the organization. Like one, one part of this team's success has been John Birdie. He is a veteran player. I have no idea what he's hitting, but I think he has 20 plus stolen bases right now. And that, that's really helpful for a team. And this lineup isn't, it's not anything special. I mean, you look at it, Joe, Joey Wendell, 
John Birdie, Garrett Cooper, Jesus Aguilar, Jesus Sanchez, Avisteo Garcia, Brian De La Cruz, Miguel Rojas, Jacob Stallings. There are no all-stars found there. So if you're going to win games, you're going to have to bring in a guy that finds a lot of success in the postseason. This isn't the Rays lineup that can hit a bunch of home runs and rely on pitching. You're going to have to bring in a guy that can multiple guys that can really hit, which is why it makes me nervous to walk that line. You could find success in it. If you're going to bring in like one, one example, I actually, I've heard this is that the Yankees might part with Joey Gallo. Now I don't like Joey Gallo personally, but if he finds a way to get it together, especially next year when the shift is gone, that could be a reasonable acquisition for the Marlins right now, especially when you're looking at Jesus Aguilar and then Joey Gallo hitting together. Those guys have good power and it could be reasonable, but I still personally would go ahead and sell. Although the 17 Marlins fans that are out there might be pretty mad about it. (laughs) Yeah, no fair point. And I think, like you said, it is a fine line and uh, there are a few teams in that uh, area that could potentially look at not completely giving up on the season while also trying to set yourself up for next. And it's it's tough because, like you said, not committing to either one can cost you, especially if you don't end up making the playoffs and then you lose out on future talent. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on the Marlins for sure. Um, and give me your final team that's a seller at this deadline that you think could have a big impact on their own future and the rest of the league. Well, yeah, and this one is a no-doubter for the selling. And, I mean, I don't know what to tell Diamondbacks fans at this point. Um, But we're going to go ahead and see them clear house. I expect it to happen. And this happens with teams like this so much. And so we could see the end of a Madison Bumgarner era. The Mark Melanson, I don't know why he even signed with the Diamondbacks era, is probably coming to a close. David Peralta is one of the more interesting pieces available at the deadline, actually, because he is a solid, proven MLB everyday starter hitter that can find success in the middle of a good team's lineup, actually. So the Diamondbacks have a lot of reasonable players they could trade, especially three guys and the three veterans that have found a lot of success in the past in the bull in, in the rotation, Luke Weaver, Madison Bumgarner, Zach Davies. So yeah, the Diamondbacks are going to sell. And I really could have listed a bunch of teams in this spot, but I think it's a pretty much guarantee that if they can trade them, they will. And honestly, just try and find as many good prospects to keep some hope alive for the franchise. Yeah. And you know, I, I think you're definitely, you're definitely right here. The other problem with the Diamondbacks, similar to the Orioles, is they're in a division with the Dodgers and Padres. So, you know, if you're the Diamondbacks and you have decent talent, you're in no, you're not similar, you're not in a similar boat as um, a team like the Marlins, where you have an outside chance of competing in the nearer future, like they're going to be in a dominated division for the next four to five seasons. So if you're the Diamondbacks, best thing you can probably do is set your sight at least three seasons in advance. I mean, I hate to say that, but they're not going to be first or second in this division for a while. And so you never want to be playing for a wild card spot at the beginning of a season, but 
that's the realistic outcome for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, we saw San Francisco compete for a season, but even that I think was a bit of an outlier. Um, and I don't think you're going to see that talent from a team like the Diamondbacks. So I would be surprised um, if they didn't fully sell and fully commit to, to rebuilding and try and get as much young talent as they can now. I mean, you look at a team like the Padres, um, when they started their rebuild, how uncompetitive they were and where they are now, that's got to be the goal of the Diamondbacks. They got to really build up that farm system and uh, probably give up on a couple seasons in the coming future, but then attempt to find guys, young guys that can be your Tatis. Obviously, no, it's hard to find guys like that, but that's the goal of a rebuild like this and really set your sights two, three years down the future. You want to be getting really talented young guys that are as low as single double A um, because it's going to be a long way back. Yeah, and one thing I'll say about Tatis is that he was a part of a trade. He was traded to the Padres from the White Sox. But I have a, I have a question for you. And as a general manager, you want to win and you want to win as fast as possible. But you get ridiculed if you don't come out there and make a big free agent signing. Like the Diamondbacks, Mark Melanson, why exactly did this happen? I don't know why Melanson wanted to go there. I don't know why the Diamondbacks really wanted him. And they may have been ridiculed if they didn't bring in a guy like that. So my question is, is it a general manager's job to put on a semblance of trying to compete? Or do they have to try and compete every season to keep the person who hired them happy? And to keep the fans happy, because some general managers say, well, if I'm not successful in two years, I'm going to get fired. What, what is a general manager's place? What would you do in a situation like this to keep your job and to win games in the future? Right. And, you know, here's the thing. And that's that is the biggest issue with it at the bottom of this system is the job security aspect, um, because if you if it was simply a be successful, give me the best shot at being successful then the honest answer is say, okay, um, we're not going to compete for the next two, three seasons. I know that, you know that, but like a job security, right? You want to sell tickets. You want to keep the owners happy. So it's a difficult track. It's a difficult path to follow. Now, what I would say is if I'm the general manager, I guess my game plan really depends on, the confidence I have from my owner. If I go to my owner and I say, listen, I think I can be competitive by cleaning house right now, getting rid of, I know we just signed this guy, but moving these guys to other teams, getting a lot of uh, young talent, drafting well, and then saving you money. So hopefully give me two, three seasons of doing this, of player development. If I can do this and run a really low, uh, a really low team salary, then I'll be able to spend a lot bigger in off seasons, two, three seasons down the line, get you some big talent, get our guys promoted, trade some of the guys that I've collected these past two, three seasons and see what we can do. That's the best path in my mind. Save the money now, be ready to sign free agents once your uh, minor league players start to hit big league level. And in order to be able to do that, you have to be honest with yourself and say, we're not going to win in the next two, three seasons, 
we're in a division with the Dodgers. We're in a division with the Padres. We can't kid ourselves and just pretend to compete for the fans. Yes, it's more exciting when we get a big free agent signing, but it's going to be tenfold exciting if we're actually competing for a playoff spot in three seasons. So that would be my approach. But again, job security is at the back end of that and does cause a lot of these GMs to not be able to plan so far ahead into the future. Yeah, I agree. And the question asked general managers is why did the, like I'll use the Red Sox as an example. I know them best. Why did the Red Sox figure out how to get Raphael Devers, Xander Bogertz, those kind of guys through their farm system when we're finding no all-stars in our farm system? What are we doing wrong? How are those guys scout, scouted? How are all the big names? I mean, the Yankees did it too, right? Judge came through there, and then they traded for guys like Stanton. The Padres did it too. They trade for Tatis when he's a minor leaguer, signed Machado, and you're looking at a great left side of the infield, great outfield. You have to ask the question of how are these guys getting minor leaguers to the major leagues and having them find success when we're not, when we're perennially not doing that, like the Diamondbacks or the Pirates. And in fact, I look to the Orioles right now because in the past, the Orioles have found success doing it. I mean, you know, Manny Machado, Cedric Mullins now. I'm really hoping we don't see the same thing happen to Adley Rutschman. I mean, Jonathan VR was really successful with the Orioles. So the Orioles found a way to bring in a bunch of guys. They just didn't have the money to sign free agents to win. Nobody wanted to go play in Baltimore. So at least let's bring up exciting guys and teams like the Diamondbacks and the Pirates need to figure that out, I think. Yeah, right. And I think that's that's the big problem is the polarity between teams that cannot find minor league talent and cannot get promotion. And then you have to take a hardcore look at your scouting and your player development and also understand that part of it is luck. And part of it is the fact that predicting major league success from minor league success, it's it's a gambler's game and it's not going to be easy. But that being said, you look at teams like the Orioles and I'd say even the athletics who were able to continuously get talent out of their farm system. You have to then be at the moment ready to spend money. You cannot have those players come up, spend two seasons in the league, put up all-star numbers and have everyone going, okay, well, where's he going to go at the trade deadline? Because then you're stuck in a loop. We've seen this before. We saw it with the Orioles. And it's at this point, it looks like maybe the Orioles are turning the tide as they're playing decently well in a really tough division. And they're starting to kind of get more of a squad assembled and less of a one-star player. But like you said with Machado, you know, he came up through the farm system, was really, really talented, and they had to let him go. Um, same with guys like Zach Britton. I don't know if he came up through the farm system, but he, they were really talented players on the Orioles that they had to then trade away because they didn't either have the ability to sign free agents or just time the signing of free agents well enough with those guys. So again, the other really difficult aspect of it comes out of um, salary cap. And that's, that's something that needs to be addressed by the owners. And there's just not a ton you can do. All right, so with that being said, those are our three teams that we see being major sellers at the deadline and that we picture having a big impact on the league going forward. But now it's time for the teams that are looking to make the final push to really give them the best chance at playoff contention and World Series contention, teams that might be fighting for a wild card spot 
or be fighting for a division and just need something else that's been lacking this season, get us started with your buyers list. Uh, Yeah, and we'll start with the Blue Jays. Right now, I'm looking at them as a team that really needs to compete, not because they're not going to compete next year, but because this fan base has really looked forward to it. They missed the game by the postseason by game last year. I mean, I was watching the Blue Jays Mariners game last night and for the first time in a bunch of years, got people from Vancouver, those the West coast area are going to Seattle. I mean, first pitch of the game, we've got let's go Blue Jays chance. This franchise is really, really, this fan base is really into it. So I look at the pitching and starting pitching has been good. They rank 11th in starting pitcher war on this season, but that's because it's really been a lot of next man up kind of situation. We're looking at Kevin Gosman probably out through the all-star break and then a bunch of injuries to relievers as well. So I'd say bringing in a pitcher is the ideal situation. I mean, they've done it at the other deadlines. I don't think they're scared to do it. Their prospects are still really good for how many people they've had to trade. And then I would say bring in a third outfielder or really a utility guy. And I mean, we're looking at an outfield with Springer, Hernandez, and Biggio filling in in there, and Espinal, who's been really great. But that rotating spot of a right fielder really has struggled this season for the Blue Jays. And it's always helpful to have another bat. And so for that spot, I wouldn't say it had to be like a David Peralta kind of guy, but if you want to bring in a guy who's had experience out there, maybe Ian Happ, who's at the end of his large success run. He was good last year, struggled this year. But I would say for sure, bring in a pitcher because of injuries, bring in a reliever. They're 25th in reliever war this year. And they've had a ton of injuries. I mean, last night they started Anthony Banda as an opener. He lasted a third of an inning. And so just, and Jordan Romano, who's been hurt, he's found success this year, but you can always have another guy. Trevor Richards has been on the IL this year. So yeah, I think the Blue Jays are buyers at the deadline. I think they bring in at least one significant player. This isn't some backup, backup guy that's for cash considerations or something. They bring in a significant asset. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we talked a lot about the Blue Jays last episode when we discussed all things AL East. And, I think our conclusion was basically like you, I think you could make a case and now seeing the Orioles play a bit better, potentially that all five of these teams could be buyers. Now, you know, it's, you could make a case for that. I'm not saying they all are, but especially Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto, who are literally all within a game of each other right now fighting and potentially clinching all three wildcard spots. But trying to get that top spot, trying to get any advantage they can and trying to stay out of uh, trouble as they all play each other so much. It is a potential that one of them doesn't end up making the playoffs. Now the expanded format would have been great for the blue Jays last year and could help them this year, but they don't want to be banking on that. They certainly want to establish themselves as the number two in this division. And I think they have the talent to do so. Um, And so if I'm the Blue Jays right now, for sure I'm buying. For sure I'm looking at how I can improve my pitching um, because that definitely has been one of their weaker spots. And I think I think if I'm the Blue Jays, I have my eyes set on a deep playoff run. It's really the only expectation I can have. I, As that 
front office has made so many changes these past few seasons. They've reinvented this team. You look at a great mix of young talent and a great mix of veteran talent. So the Blue Jays are a team that is willing to really go all in with their chips right now, even though they're competing in such a tough division. There is no planning for the future. It doesn't matter how good other teams in your division are when you've invested this much, similar to the Mets. Um, I'd say that once they invested so much, it was it was an all-in maneuver. There wasn't any backtrack by that front office, and kudos to them. It seems like they made the right decision um, as they're leading their division, but the Blue Jays, they can't wait any longer. They need to certainly make the playoffs, and they got to have their eyes set on a longer run. Yeah, I totally agree, and the Blue Jays are a team that it's – it's a must. It's a sort of we're so good right now. And I mean, if it wasn't for the Yankees, this would be a whole different aspect for the Blue Jays at the top of the division. Say the Yankees were only were 10 games worse, which would be still a pretty, really good start to the season. This would be a sort of like, oh, my gosh, the Blue Jays are really good situation. But right now, 15 games back. It's a whole different thought. That doesn't matter right now, because I believe that in a five-game series, seven-game series, the Rays, the Red Sox, or the Blue Jays, but specifically the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, could beat the Yankees. And so bringing in assets right now is really important for the Blue Jays because they want to win. And, I mean, going out to the Yankees in the first round as the last wild card, or I guess the Yankees get a bye, maybe in the second round, would not make people in Canada happy. So it's a it's a let's go win now. Let's see if we can topple Goliath kind of situation with how good the Yankees have been. Yeah, and and would you say for all these AL East teams, it's more there's there's probably more concern about just making the playoffs than there are how well we can do in the playoffs because I think they all know how how talented their rosters are, and I think like you said, all of them have the confidence that in a five, seven game series against really any team in this league, they could make something happen. They have the talent to do so. The biggest struggle is how close they all are. And the fact that, you know, yes, there are the best teams, but you have other teams like Seattle, Cleveland, and the White Sox that are taking advantage of the fact that there's so much playing against each other that while most of those teams aren't great this season, could easily, depending on how weak their schedule is, end up snatching that third playoff spot. And and that would be, I mean, if any of these AL East teams make the playoffs besides the Orioles, you're thinking to yourself, they have a good chance to do some damage. So I think the biggest concern for all three of those teams is more so making the playoffs instead of what can we do once we're there. Yeah, I 100% agree. And if I were Alex Cora, Kevin Cash, Charlie Montoyo walking into the locker room today, I wouldn't put the Yankees as the – I wouldn't mention the Yankees, but I would say let's worry about where we are right now. Let's worry about these two other teams because those are the two teams we need to beat. A, to get that number one wildcard spot, that's always helpful if you could find a way to play a home game against another wildcard team. And let's just worry about beating those two teams. Let's think about if you're the Red Sox, the Rays – and the Blue Jays and beating them. And then you know what that does? I think that sort of puts the Yankees out of mind. You're not worried about making up a 15-game gap because that's not what you have to do to find success in the playoffs. 
and then maybe you make up some of those games. I doubt you take the division, but I wouldn't be surprised if we look over and it's eight games at the end of the season. It could totally be 20 also. But worry about those two teams. Worry about making the postseason because you go play the game for a reason. I think even you'll admit, Asher, I think the Yankees have the best chance of making the World Series out of the AL. But it's not 100%. It's not even 50%, I don't think. So worry about those two teams. Figure it out in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the thing. I mean, you, the Yankees, they're winning a lot of games. But when it comes down to it, when it comes down to four games in the playoffs, anything can happen. And I think, like you said, the biggest thing is if you're the managers of these ball clubs, it's it's give it everything right now. We're going to try and improve at the deadline, but you're so close. You're having such a race that something's happening in baseball that doesn't usually occur. And that's truly a, before the all-star break, a feeling of a, every game matters in this AL East, especially against division rivals. Every game truly matters because the, the pace they've set and uh, the way it's looking, we could easily get to the end of the season and have it come down to one, two, three games that separates um, these three teams and potentially separates one of the teams from making the playoffs if the third slot falls to another AL team. Yeah, I totally agree. And so let's move on to the other I think most important team in the AL you're looking past the, the three wild card teams really. And then the Yankees, the next team up is the Astros. And I think, I think we Asher and I were talking about this earlier. You're not circling an NL team on your calendar. If you're the New York Yankees, you're circling the Houston Astros, the team with arguably the most playoff experience and the team that just, what was it? Asher took two of four or three of five recently. Yeah, I mean, two of four in a four-game series, and then they played one more game to make up for the weird scheduling because of the lockout, and the Houston won that as well. So 3-5 against the Yankees um, in the last stretch. Yeah, and so you're circling. The Astros are circling it because that's their path to the World Series, and the Yankees are circling it. Not to say you're not worried about the other three teams. They're good teams. They're going to worry about it. But these are the two main contenders in the AL. And so if I'm the Astros... I'm looking to re- to for two positions, really, and it's catcher and first base. And this is why I think Wilson Contreras to the Astros is going to happen. If I were to bet on it anywhere for him to go, it would be to the Houston Astros. They have a negative 0.6 war from the catcher position this year, which in a team that hits so well, that seen the emergence of young stars, Jordan Alvarez, and Kyle Tucker, a replacement for Carlos Correa that obviously isn't Correa, but Jeremy Pena being lights out for them this year as a replacement. I'm super happy about that as Astros fan. So you look at it right now, you want Wilson Contreras. I would argue that you could trade for a guy like Sean Murphy from the A's. And then you want to look at first base also because you're 27th in first base war this year. And the guy that makes sense there would be Josh Bell. But another bat in the lineup can never hurt you. And so this team will add somebody at the deadline, especially when you look at the, the rotation that while it didn't inspire fear last year, they won games with it, but it didn't inspire fear. Now with Verlander headlining it, you go in, and I think Verlander can win a game in Yankee Stadium. He's that good this year. So 
Worry about the hitting. Make sure that Nestor Cortez, Garrett Cole aren't a concern for you in terms of getting at least two or three runs if you can this year off them in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. And this team is looking definitely the second most dangerous team in the AL, I'd say. And um, if not right up there with the Yankees, because not only did they take three or five against the Yankees, they really should have won the other two games. Um, and they, they were a, an inning away in both games, really from sweeping the Yankees in that four game series. And the Yankees got two because they've been that kind of team this year where when they've struggled, they found ways to win, but it, it could have gone a lot worse for New York. And I think based on their playoff encounters in the past four or five seasons, Yankees fans know better than ever the Astros have had their numbers. So the Astros, like you said, have ridiculous playoff experience at this point, um, earned or not, you know, you can make that argument, but they have been there. They've been in the world series. They've won the world series and they know what it's like. And they also, at this point, no amount of pressure is going to get to them. I mean, they, they got booed relentlessly at Yankee stadium. They're going to get booed no matter who they play in the playoffs. And they're going to take it in stride because they've done so all season. They've won nine of their last 10. They're incredibly hot right now. And uh, I don't see them going away anytime soon. This is definitely their division to win. Um, you know, they're in a weaker division. So while the Yankees have a better record, you know, they have a 13 game lead in first place as well. So they're, they're right up there in terms of pretty much dominating the division right now, as well as Seattle has played as of late, it doesn't really matter. So I think the move for Contreras makes a ton of sense. And uh, I see the Astros getting better. And I, I really see it being the biggest competition out of the AL. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, really. And the Astros, first, I got to say, the biggest snub of the All-Star Game starters right there, Jordan Alvarez should have been a starter. Everybody likes Shohei Otani. He's good, don't get me wrong, but they like him too much. That lineup is ridiculous. Uh, maybe the out of everybody in baseball, every team in baseball, the second scariest lineup. You can't, you can't get maybe second or third scariest lineup. You can't get by how well the Yankees have played and then the Dodgers. So that team in the postseason is relentless and they will score runs off of whoever you put on the mound. So the Astros, while they can't be the favorite to win the World Series, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw an epic seven-game series between the Astros and the Yankees in the postseason this year. Yeah, and it certainly would be sold-out crowds, incredibly heated atmosphere. So, I mean, it already was, and it, it, that, that was midseason. Um, so definitely something to look forward to, definitely some great battles to come. And that brings us to our final buyer of the deadline, the Minnesota Twins. Now, the Twins – are in a division, only a four-and-a-half game lead over Cleveland. They've struggled a bit as of late, playing pretty much 500 ball in their last few series. Um, but they have some potential, and they're looking at a pretty clear path to another division win. One thing to highlight about the Twins that's nearly unignorable at this point is just how poor they've been in the postseason. And I think if you're Minnesota, the biggest concern is going into a postseason against an absolutely stacked American league with no easy path. And at this point, if you're the twins, you go into the postseason as a division winner, as absolutely the weakest team in the AL. There's no question in my mind. And I think the last thing I want to do 
is go into the postseason and lose again. I don't know the last time they've won a postseason game. I'm, I feel like there's a lot of interesting stats or maybe postseason uh, series, but they just can't seem to get out of that first round or out of that wild card round wherever they fall. And it cannot be a confident thing when you're definitely in the worst division in the AL and definitely the worst team out of the teams that are most likely going to make the playoffs, even with three wild cards. Yeah. So the thing about the twins is that you don't get to make excuses for not finding players at the deadline because you're a good baseball team. You're above average, but Asher's right. You're the worst team in the postseason. Pretty much. I can say that unless if, if the way the postseason currently stands guaranteed worst team, I would say first round exit. And I would say first round exit unless they pull some miracle trade off and steal somebody from a team. So, I mean, the, the lineup, really scary. I mean, Luis Arias, 354 batting average. Carlos Correa, 286 batting average. And then Byron Buxton, who's got 22 home runs on the year. I don't want to face that lineup. And so you're looking at it, and then you look at the pitching for the team. And, I mean, it's been pretty good. The starters have been pretty good. But then again, I believe you're throwing Dylan Bundy on some days. So you're trying to find a starter, and then you're trying to find relievers. And I think the answer right here could be David Robertson. I mean, you bring in the guy, he's a shutdown closer or eighth inning guy, wherever you see the best hitters. And it's a method for if that lineup manages to get you a lead, a team like the Yankees or the Astros is always scoring in the eighth or the ninth. If you have a guy out there that can stop that, you have an outside chance of winning a postseason series. So you have no excuse for not reloading right now at this deadline, getting as many good players on this team as you can because the Chicago White Sox are winning the division next year, and I will put money on it. So this is your last chance in the postseason maybe for a while. Win this year if you can. Do everything you can to do it. And nobody will laugh at you if you go out in the first round after putting your best value and effort out there because they, everybody knows the teams in the postseason are going to be better than the Twins. Yeah, and I, I think if you're the Twins, obviously, it's definitely a weak like you said, we have to get better now. It's, it's just, it's one of those things where they're, they're not bad. They, like you said, they don't have that poor of a lineup. They they've got some scary guys to face. They haven't found postseason success. That being said, you know, it's a feeling as of if they don't get better, they're going to get worse. And simply because if they don't get better, they're just not going to be in that big of a situation where they're not going to be in a situation where it feels like they can win. Um, and you don't want to go into the postseason feeling like that. And I think there's not a team in the AL East uh, of the three teams that might take all three wildcard spots that wouldn't be confident in their ability to beat them. Um, and so I think, you know, that if the Twins do make moves and do have a good second half and do win the division without doubt, who knows? They could take a series. Like we said, it's postseason baseball, and no one knows what could happen. Obviously, you can't count them out of the playoffs, but it does take some improvement. Um, and I think, like you said, shutting down that eighth and ninth with guys like David Robertson would be absolutely crucial. You can never have too good of a bullpen, um, and especially in playoff baseball when teams are down to their final outs and their at-bats mean everything to them. 
you need guys who can close it down because teams will absolutely surge in late innings if there's a hint of momentum change. If there's anything like that, yeah, you can never let that happen in the playoffs because that's when it's most volatile, most ready to happen, when teams are most ready to jump on those late relievers, especially on short rest. So the Twins bolstering that bullpen could help them a lot and and make sure they secure this division because even that is not guaranteed at this point. Yeah, and so here's a funny story that I just found. There are four guys on the five guys on the twins thrown more than 40 innings this season that have a sub 3.15 ERA. And that is not going to stay. I know if Sonny Gray has a 249 ERA on the end of season, that's just not going to happen. Joe Ryan, 309, not going to happen. Josh Winder, this is the three starter for a twins team. Never heard of him. 3.14 ERA. I promise you, Chris Archer, not going to have a 3.09 ERA at the end of the year. Devin Smelter, same thing. This team is going to be worse in the second half, and they're going to have to deal with the White Sox on their tail and with the Guardians on their tail. And I'm looking at this projected standings right now. It's got them winning 84 games total and losing the division to the White Sox. That's realistic. This is your chance, Twins. You're ahead right now. Go find some players anywhere you can to win as many baseball games as you can and make this your last final stand to win that postseason game. Don't waste the talent of Buxton and Correa. Go win right now. Absolutely. It's like you said, this division is very much in question. It's probably really the only AL division right now that's seriously in question um, for a division winner. And, the problem, the big problem is, is if the White Sox or the Guardians play great baseball second half and the Twins slip out of that first place spot, good luck getting a wild card spot. Not going to be easy. So you really can't lose this division. Um, you can't take that chance, especially with how hot the Mariners have been and uh, the three teams in the AL East. It's, it's unlikely that. I, I, you know, I'm not going to say I don't see a team from this division making the wild card spot because honestly, I think the Guardians and the White Sox probably have the best chance at stealing the third wild card spot from one of those AL East teams. But if the Twins fall out of first place, it's very likely that they don't make the playoffs at all. And so they got to improve, they got to get better. Um, and we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be really exciting at the end of the year, especially if we look at it and all of a sudden there's a race for the uh, central title, the wild card spots. It would be super interesting to me if the three wild card spots in the AL East all had a better record than the central winner, which is realistic, other than the fact that they have to play each other repeatedly. That could, that could, even despite that, that could happen in my mind, especially if the White Sox, Guardians, and Twins put a beating to each other also. Because I think it's been shown this year. I think the Yankees have found success. The Blue Jays have found success. And the Red Sox have found success against the Twins and the Guardians. So the AL East teams are better. And it's going to be super interesting to see how the records play out at the end of the season. Absolutely. Um, it'll be certainly interesting to see. And it, it would be very interesting if you look at these AL East teams and they end up with a better record than the division winner. Um, 
So we've got a lot of good baseball left to play. We've got a lot of uh, interesting trades that I'm sure we'll keep you updated on. And we're heading towards the all-star break, which means teams get a chance to catch their breath, get ready for the second half um, and get ready to make those final playoff pushes. That being said, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, to another really fun episode and hopefully we'll be back with another one soon. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you.